Hey, we're excited to get into the message today. We're in our series, Who Am I and Why Am I Here? And so we're pumped about finding out what God's identity is for us and his purpose is for us. So if you got your Bibles, your sermon notes, go on version app and download those sermon notes. You can follow along with us. But let's open up to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to get into this today about our purpose. We're going to be specifically talking about why am I here? Why am I here? Last week we talked about our purpose and we looked in Acts 26 and about when Paul was retelling a story about his encounter on the road to Damascus and we talked about that our purpose is not something we do, but it's a person that we become. And remember we talked about God speaking to Saul and he said specifically these words, for this purpose I have appeared to you. Here's what he said. When God says something like that, you know we ought to perk up our ears. How many knows if God spoke to you and the night woke you up and said, for this purpose I have appeared to you, you'd probably not roll back over and say, I'll talk to you in the morning. I mean, I believe you would perk up a little bit and say, I probably need to pay attention to what he's getting ready to say. So he said some powerful truths in these next few words. He said, for this purpose I've appeared to you that I want to make you a minister or a servant. I want, to, I want you to serve people and a witness, an example of the things which you have seen and the things which I will yet reveal to you. That's what he told him he wanted to do. And so this is our instruction. This is your and my instruction. God's saying, hey, there's a reason that I'm appearing to you. I want to make you a servant. I want to make you an example of the things that you've already seen and the things that God will yet reveal to you. For what purpose? He said, for this purpose, to open people's eyes, to turn them from darkness to light. What do we sing in the very first song? We're going to run into the night. Why are we going to run into the night? Because we have the light. All right, I need a little more participation. I know we had dairy days this weekend, but... I was out till 11 o'clock last night at Dairy Days. If I could preach, you can get engaged. Come on. So, so he said, turn him from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to the power of God. Guess what? You're surrounded by people every day that's being influenced by darkness. Their eyes are blinded so they can't even see to find their way out. And they're under the authority and power of Satan. And God wants to set them free and put them under the power of God. And guess whose responsibility it is to do that? Ours. Ours. Why? Because we're a minister, we're a witness, we're an example to the things that he's done in our life. That's all we've got to do. You don't need to memorize 16 books of the Bible. You need to be able to speak and communicate what God's done for you and what he's showing you. It's just very that, that simple. So what is our purpose? Why are we here? We'll look at that today and I want to try and answer that question from a big picture standpoint. Why are we here? Everything we do then in life, no matter what your occupation is this morning, I want you to hear this. What are we doing? Our purpose is all around the same general assignment from God. That's to open people's eyes and turn them from light to darkness and from the power of Satan to the power of God. So if you're in the classroom or you're in the office or you're in the field or you're in the mine or you're at home or you're in the store, it doesn't matter what you do, everything we do has one single big picture purpose and that's help people's eyes be open so they can come from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to power of God. Like, well, I'm not really a kind of a religious person, I just work for a living. Well, yeah, we all work for a living, but our purpose is the same, do you grasp? Because I'm not gonna be in your circle of influence, and so we've gotta do that. So let's look at it. Today I'm gonna talk about this. I'm gonna ask you a powerful question. I'm gonna challenge you today. I hope you're ready for that. Ready or not, here I come. 
Because the questions I'm asking you is how are we managing the gifts that God's given us? See, some of you know I went to uh, school and got a degree in accounting. And so I became an accountant for 12 years. I was an accountant in the business world. And one of the things I didn't like about accounting, one of the several things I didn't like, (laughs) and to all my accounting friends, it's okay. Just for me, it didn't flow with my personality. And uh, so, but one of the things I didn't like about accounting is that my sole responsibility was managing something that was somebody else's. Really, my sole purpose and only reason people had to pay me was to help them take care of something that they had. They were bringing increase. I was just managing. I was not bringing money into the company. I was just managing what was already there. So I was a liability. I was an expense. I always wanted to be a salesperson or somebody bringing in the bucks, a real value. Now we got to have you. We got to pay taxes. <laughs> but here's something that I found when looking at our purpose that God said, hey, you really need to do that more than you think. So I want us to look at the Bible because here in 1 Peter chapter 4, we need to see the value of managing something that's been entrusted to us. Managing what has been given to us is a tremendous asset that we need to have in our life. So in 1 Peter chapter 4, you got it there in your Bibles? Let's, let's take a peek at it. And we'll start there in verse 7. But the end of all things is at hand. Now hold on right there. Anybody hear anything about the end times recently? <laughs> you know, there's the other day, Thursday or so, I said, well, Lord, do I need, even need to prepare a message? I'm going to move on from that topic right there. There's a lot I would like to say right now, but I'm letting it run around the track. But, hey, bottom line, this thing is true. The end of all things is at hand. And this was written around 60 AD. This was 2,000 years ago almost. And Peter was saying the end of all things is drawing near. That's what at hand means, it's drawing near. So how many knows if it was true in 60 AD, it's even more true in 2017? Things are wrapping up. They're coming to a close. Don't get discouraged. Don't be worried about people trying to predict when Jesus is coming. There is a truth to the fact Jesus is coming back. So live ready. Live ready. All right, I got a lot to say there, but let's move on. So therefore, because the end of all things are at hand, he says, therefore, be serious. Now, when he says be serious, he doesn't mean be a grouch. That means be a grouch. What he means about being serious is mean, he means use good judgment. In other words, we use this phrase, have a good head on your shoulders. Just use sound judgment in your life. You know, use good reasoning. He said, in other words, don't fall for everything. Use good judgment in your life and watchful in your prayers. So two things he tells us. Good, use good judgment and be watchful in your prayers. This word watchful is important. I give you there in your sermon notes. It means to be sensitive. It's a word that used to be used to not be drunk. That's why in some translations they'll say be sober means to not be drunk, and the, and the application is, is to be free from the influence of intoxicants. Now, what do intoxicants do? Intoxicants just desensitize us to something. For those that have experienced intoxication in your life, I've heard that, <laughs> that's another story for another time, but it desensitizes you. You don't sense things that you used to sense. It numbs you a little bit. So what he's saying is to use sound judgment, but also I want you to be sensitive to the voice of God. 
So if we just rely on sound judgment, it's not enough. It's good to use good judgment, but also be sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Because there's sometimes when your sound judgment is going to leave you hanging. You're not going to know what to do. Can anybody relate to that? I'm not going to be able to figure it out. I can't figure out the answer. I can't put one and one together and get two in this situation. I One plus one is equal in five sometimes today. How do I do that? Well, he says, now be watchful in your prayers. In other words, don't be desensitized. So my question to you is, are there any intoxicants in your life that is desensitizing you to the voice of God? God's saying, what are some intoxicants you have in your life? And I don't know what they are for you, but there's some things we got to make sure and leave out of our life so we don't become insensitive or desensitized to the voice of God. Right now, in these end times, we need to be more sensitive to the voice of God than ever. So don't desensitize. How do you desensitize yourself? The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 that, that if we're going to, or chapter 8, I believe it's verse 5 or 6, bring it up. It's like, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who, uh, trying to read it from the back, sorry. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. So we have to set our minds on the things of God. You want to be sensitive to the voice of God? You've got to set your mind on God. It's not just to come upon you. If I never think about God, never read his word, never pray, but I want to hear from God. Impossible. Can I just set you at ease? If you're going to try and never engage God, never listen to God, never pray, and never read your Bible, but I want God to tell me what to do, it will not happen. It's not not your fault. God's not hating on you. It's not because he's punishing you. It's just, and it's not the fact that he's not speaking to you. He is speaking, but we will be desensitized to his voice. And we will hear the voice of everything that we're opening up our minds to. That's a lot there. Let's stay, stay on topic. So be watchful in your prayers. So now let's use good judgment, but let's also be sensitive to the voice of God. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitudes of sin. Have fervent love. Everybody say fervent. Fervent. Now when I say fervent, that doesn't mean hot. Have hot love. I got hot love for my wife. It is hot, baby. Some of you getting uncomfortable. Why are you hating? Married people got to have hot love. But <laughs> she's about three shades of red. I ain't even looking over there, okay? I'm not even looking. I got eyes up here, people. Just eyes up here. But fervent. Here's what fervent means, and it doesn't mean hot. <laughs> That fervent love means intent, intentional, intentional. It means outflowing. It means, it means an internal source outflowing to something else. So having fervent love for one another, you could translate it this way, have internally sourced outflowing love for one another, not externally conditioned outflowing love. Do I need to say that again? Yes, I believe I do. We need to have internally sourced outflowing love, not externally conditioned outflowing love. I'm going to say it one more time because we got to get that in our heart. I got to have internally sourced, where's it coming from? It's coming from inside me, fruit of the spirit, love. Yeah, I don't need to feel love to release love. Oh, we're going to grow up in here today. We got, we got to have it inside of us so it's internally sourced outflowing love. That's fervent love one for another, not externally conditioned outflowing love. Fervent love. <laughs> it can be hot too, but it's more important to be this other one. 
eternally sourced, outflowing love. Look at verse 9. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. There's a verse for our children right there. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. It's also a verse for us adults. Hospital means you're a, a welcoming, loving guest. I hope you were welcome, welcomed with love this morning as a guest to Crossroads. I hope people just made you feel right at home. We want to be hospitable without grumbling. I like how God puts those things in there. Well, I did what I was supposed to do. <laughs> it's not just what we do, it's how we do. God measures the how we do more than the what we do. When he's measuring our reward, he's going to check yourself. He's going to say, hey, why did you do that? Well, it didn't matter why I did it. It's just that I did the right thing. Oh, it matters to God. It matters the why we do. So be hospital without grumbling. Here's the verse we're going to zero in on, verse 10. As each one has received a gift. As each one, each one. This word each is a word talking about disbursement in totality. And so in other words, it's like a word saying as each one. It's talking about every single one has been dispersed something. So it means no one is left out. Nobody's overlooked. Nobody's forgotten. If you're listening to me this morning, and I pray that you are, each one, that counts as you. Look at your neighbor and say, that's you too. That's you too. As each one has received a gift. Every single one. God dispersed to you a gift. Now, if each one has a gift, the other promising thing is that means one person doesn't have all of them. If each one's got a gift, that means I got one too. That means that it's not all in one person. So as each one has received a gift, and the word gift is very important. It's a Greek word, charisma. It just means a God-given gift. It's a, it's a grace gift. It's, it's something that God endowed. It's an empowerment from God. So when we look at the gift and what God's talking about here, it tells us the source of the gift. It's from God. It tells us the value of the gift because how many knows this? God doesn't make any junk. If God gave you a gift, it's because there's value in it. You say, well, I just need their gift. I wish I was gifted like them. No, you don't. God valued the gift that he gave you. You don't have to try and be anybody else. You've got to appreciate what God gave you. There's a need for it. So it's telling us if God gave it to me, then there's a purpose in it. And then we also know that there's an eternal impact for it because God is eternal. So if he gave me a gift, it's bigger than just in the moment. It's something bigger than that. I want you to know that God is proud of your gift. And he never regrets the gift that he's given you. The Bible says it this way, that the gifts and calling of God are without repentance or they are irrevocable. And what that word irrevocable means is that God is your not, he doesn't regret and he's not sorry. He never looks at you and says, mm, I wish I'd have given him a better gift. He never looks at you and says, mm, I wish I'd have given them something else. He never regrets what he gave you. I don't care what you have done. I don't know how, care how you've tried to disqualify yourself. God never regrets his end. You say, well, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this, Chad. I've just ruined everything. No, God never regrets what he poured into you. So don't disqualify yourself just because what you've done. Just embrace the heart of God and he will pull you right back into what he wants to do with your life. So he says they're without repentance, they're irrevocable. So as each one has received a gift, here's the next part. He says, minister it. To one another. Everybody say minister. 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 So as each one is received, this is important, as we receive it, we're supposed to minister. And as each one received, this word received is not just a passive word. It's a word that means you take possession of it, that you grab hold of it, you use it, you engage it. So it's a willing acceptance. 
So like, if I was to give a gift to you, and I was to present this gift to someone, Chad, I'm gonna give you this gift. Oh, well, you shouldn't have, that's really nice of you. Yes, but I'm gonna give you this gift. I have to take the gift, and I have to accept it for myself. If you give someone a present, they've gotta take the present, unwrap the present, and use the present for that gift to be fully engaged. Right? Well, it's the same thing. God gives you a gift, but you have to receive it. You have something to do on your part. You have no say-so in what God gave you, but you absolutely have a say-so in how you use it. I didn't determine the the gift that God gave me, but I absolutely can determine how that gift is used. I can either fully engage what he's given me, I can receive it, or I can reject it, or I can take it and I can put it on the shelf and never use it. You know the gifts that you've got from people that you never use. Some of you re-gifters. <laughs> that gift you're like, oh, thanks. Shows up at someone else's wedding reception, wrapped up. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Thank you, I don't have to buy anything now. So this is what we're talking about. But the application is sometimes we do that with the gifts God's given us. We take it and we look at it and we think, ah, I'm not really sure how I can use that. And we set it on the shelf. We've never received the gift that God has given us. When it says received a gift, that's the word that we're talking about. It's the word lambano. You've got to take it for yourself. So as each one has received a gift, you've got to minister it to one another. The word minister, again, just means to serve. Who do we serve? Minister it to one another. Our gift, what I'm talking about here, our gift is outward focused and not inward focused. The gift that God's given you is not for self-promotion. Everything that God gives you is to serve or minister to one another. This is why we want you to be involved in the dream team or serving in the church because you have something to serve. You have something to give. You need to be plugged in because someone needs what you have. Minister it to. This is why you need to be in a connect group. Get plugged into church life and help someone. Why? Because you have something to minister to. Not to just be ministered to. Too many times people want to come to church just to be ministered to. But I'm asking you, God's speaking to us, who are we ministering to? Who are we releasing what he's giving us? He's given you a gift. Some of you are sitting on more word that you've heard over your lifespan than some people have ever heard in their life. And you're not plugged in serving somebody and giving it out to somebody. I'm telling you, that's not to bring condemnation. I'm trying to encourage you, minister what God's given to you. Release it to people. Give them what God's speaking into your life. Minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. The word manifold there just means a variety. It means God likes all kinds. He has a variety of kinds of gifts, a variety of kinds of the grace of God. But we got to be good stewards. Here's the part I want to land on. Here today, are we good stewards? The word stewards means one who has the actual authority and responsibility for something, an administrator or a manager. So here's what I want us to understand. You are a manager or an administrator of the gift that God has given you. You're a manager or an administrator. You've been given responsibility. God's given you a gift, and he's asked you to be a steward of it. He's asked you to manage it. He's asked you to administrate it. He's asked you to be a partner with him and how it's used. And so we're going to see how God wants to orchestrate and work that into our lives. So let's go ahead and read verse 11. 
Because it tells us now that we become stewards of, verse 11, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. Now notice what it says, if anyone speaks, how many of us here this morning speak? How many actually speak? And nobody's raising your hands. I've heard some of you talk. See, the problem is, when people read that, they think it's about speakers, like people that are gifted to speak. That's not what it means. If anyone speaks, how many talk? We're getting closer. We still only got about 50% participation. That's all right. We all talk. He says, if anyone talks, here's how I want you to talk. I want you to talk as the oracles of God. In other words, I want you to say what God says. He's given us instructions in how we use our gift, how we're good stewards. If you're going to talk, I want you to say what I say. How many of you are faced with something and you want to say what you feel? I do it all the time. I do it all the time. I get this urgency to speak what I'm feeling. God said, I didn't ask you to speak what you feel. I'm asking you to speak what I say. Speak us with the oracles of God. We need to partner with what God's saying over our situation. This is not just for gifted speakers. This is for everyone. So I want you to speak as oracles of God. If anyone ministers or if anyone serves, this is not, again, for church pulpit ministry. This is for all of us that serve let everyone serve, let him do it with the ability. This ability means enablement, it means capability, it means power, it means, means God has given us everything that we need which God supplies, that in all things, all things, all things, all things, I'm just going to say it to you, grasp on it, all things, all things, all things, it's not just in church things, it's all things that all things God's going to get glory through Jesus Christ. That in all things we do, God get glory from what you've given me. That in all things, everything that I'm doing with my life, my purpose is at the base to give glory to God. Give glory to God. That in all things, God's going to get glory through Jesus Christ. And he's going to do it with the ability which God supplies. That word supplies means to make available whatever is necessary to supply the needs. Can I just encourage us all, everything that God asks you to do, he will supply what you need to get it done. <laughs> whatever we do, let's do it with the ability which God supplies. So whatever God has gifted you to do, he's also supplied you to do. Some people think God asked them to do things. Maybe you've been this way, because I know I've done this, that God's asked me to do something and then I decide whether he's supplied me enough to do that. Like before I engage what he's telling me to do, I'll do an evaluation to see if I believe that I'm prepared. Like did he give me enough to accomplish this? Let me just set yourself at ease, and I have to remind myself of this all the time, so I'm preaching to myself. If he asked you to do it, he's prepared you to do it. He's empowered you to do it. He's thought about every possible scenario. He's thought about all the what ifs and all the ripple effects that when he says, hey, I want you to do this, you need to know that he's already considered everything that you could ever come up with. You know how we do it? Well, what if this happens? What if that happens? What if this doesn't work out? What if that doesn't work out? What if this and that leads to that and that and that leads to that and that and that leads to this? Oh my goodness, if it ever leads to that, what will I do? <laughs> he's already figured all that out. Already figured it out. So we got to do it with what God has supplied 
So we are good stewards. I want to see this in a different light today. We're good stewards. How are we managing the gift that God has given us? How are we managing and administering the gifts that God has given us? Are we managing? Here's a tough question. I remember I told you I was going to challenge you. Are we managing for ourselves or are we managing for him? I told you I was an accountant. So I'm going to play this scenario. It'd be like the owner of a business who'd hired me as an accountant to come into my office and say, hey, Chad, I need you to write a check and pay this bill to this person and send it to them today. It'd be like me saying, ah, I'm just not feeling it. I'm not sure I feel led to do that. I don't I tell you what, let me pray about it and I'll get back to you. I'm sure the owner will probably walk out to the office door, look at the nameplate and say, I'm sorry, does your name say owner over the door? No, you're managing my goods. I'm asking you to be a steward of what I put in your hand. I didn't ask you to tell me whether I can or whether I can't. And I didn't ask you to tell me whether you can or you can't. I didn't ask you to pray about it. Write the check. (laughs) Right? In the natural, we grasp that. That's the exact term he used as stewards of the gift that God has given you. So let me ask you this. If God ever wants to make a withdrawal from the gift that he's given you, how willing are you to write the check? You say, hey, I need to make a withdrawal on your gift today at the grocery store. I've got somebody I want to touch. Ooh, I'm not sure I feel that. Let me pray about it. Let's see. Ah, I'm nervous. I can't. What if I don't know the answer? What if they ask me questions I don't know? I I don't know if I can do that, God. I'm not sure if I'm feeling that. You're a steward. You're not an owner of that gift. All God's asked you to do is release the resources when he he asked you to do it. Come on, I'm going to come home today because this is a challenge for us because what happens is we want to be the ones that determine how our gift is used. We want to determine when our gift is used. Are we the owners? Go over to Matthew real quick. Since you're pumped, I want to get it while while the mood is up. I want to jump on it right now. Matthew 25. I want to strike while the iron's hot. While you're turning there, you need to read this story, so go ahead and turn there to it. I want to, I want to give you this scripture while you're, while you're turning there so I can pump you up some more. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 17. Here's what Paul says. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have been entrusted with a stewardship. I got to read that again. You didn't know that was in the Bible. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have been entrusted with a stewardship. In other words, what Paul is saying, if I do it willingly, according to what God asked me to do, I'm going to get a reward. But in the big picture, it's not about my will. If I do it against my will, in other words, when I do it and I don't want to, the bigger picture is I've been entrusted with a stewardship. So it's not about me. It's not about me feeling comfortable. 
And I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to me. I'm talking about when God said, Chad, I need to make a withdrawal on your gift today. Can you go and do this for me? Oh, wow, look at the time. (laughs) Wow, I'm I'm kind of tired, I'm kind of busy. I really can't get involved with that because I'm too busy with watching. I'm too busy. What is it that we're telling God that we're deciding when we'll use what he's entrusted us? What if it's against your will? Sometimes when it's against, sometimes you've got to do things you don't want to do. Sometimes you're not going to feel led <laughs> to do everything God asks you to do. Come on, somebody. Sometimes it's going to be those moments he said, Jed, I want you to do this. And you're like, ah, <laughs> I don't want to. <laughs> but I do it anyway. Why? Because I've been entrusted with a stewardship. There's sometimes that your will is going to go against the will of God. It happened with Jesus. If it happened with Jesus, it's going to happen to me. What Jesus said, hey, Lord, if there's any other way that this whole redemption thing can go down, I'm with that. (laughs) But he said, that's... New King James slash Chad version. But he said this, but it's important. He said, nevertheless, Lord, not my will. Because what was Jesus' will? Any other way. Not my will, but your will be done. So sometimes you got to do it against your will. Look what verse, what Matthew 25. Well, look at this. I'm going to close with this, this parable. Oh, man, i got to hurry. Look at verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country, called his own servants, and delivered his goods to them. Whose were the goods? Were it the servant's goods or was it the owner's goods? It was the owner's goods. Your gift. Is it your gift or God's gift? Come on, check yourself before you wreck yourself. You got to hear it this morning. The gifts God's given you, they're his goods. We are stewards, we're just managers. This is a great parallel to what we deal with in our life. They delivered his goods to them. To one he gave five talents, another two, another one, each according to his own ability. Each one of you have been measured by God, and he's given you according to your ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who received the five talents went and traded. He worked them. He did business with them. He put effort into the gifts that God given him. He did not put it on the shelf. He lumbanoed it. He received it and he worked it. Working it. That's what he was doing. He was working the gift. Are we working the gift that God's given us or are we setting on what we have? I've watched trolls too many times. So anyway... To each one according to his bid, traded five talents, and likewise, he who had received two gained two more also, verse 17, but he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. He hid it. Now, now, look at verse 19. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with him. Look, look up at me. I'm telling you, whether Jesus was supposed to come back this weekend or not, he's coming back, and he's coming back to settle accounts. From account mindset, what accounts is he going to settle with you? He's going to settle account with you with what he gave you. You're not going to be, your rewards, your, your salvation is going to be dependent on your acceptance of the blood of Jesus Christ. There is no works involved with salvation. Your entrance into heaven is totally a grace gift by God through the blood of Jesus. But my rewards, your rewards... How we're going to be settling accounts that we're talking about is going to be judged on the gift that God give you and ha- gave you and how we used it. He's going to settle accounts with us. 
There's coming a settling day. And he's saying here, he came to settle accounts. So he goes to one of five and he says, say, oh, you gained five, verse 21, well done. That's awesome, fantastic. Two talents, you made two more. That's awesome. He, well done, good and faithful servant. Notice the one that made five, the one that made two, they, they got the same, re, the same answer. God was proud of them. God's not measuring your reproduction, your multiplication against someone else. He's measuring yours against your ability. Just do something with what you have. Then he came to the one and he said, Lord, here's what verse 24. Lord, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered. Verse 25. And I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. Hear me, people. I was afraid and I hid your talent in the ground. Look. Here's what you gave me, just like you gave it to me. The word hid there means to protect or keep it safe. God spoke to me just two days ago. I said, Chad, you're playing it safe. Playing it safe too much. I'm like, Lord, what are you, what are you talking about? So again, show me areas in my life where I'm trying to protect. Because notice what he said he was afraid. He wasn't afraid of the master. He wasn't afraid of him. We've read that and thought, well, he was afraid of him because he was this man. He wasn't afraid of that. He was afraid of screwing up. He was afraid of losing it. He was afraid that he was going to do the wrong thing. If I invest the wrong way or if I take the wrong risks, and he was asking this question like we all do, what if I mess up? So instead of messing up, I won't do anything and that'll be good. God will be proud of me if I just don't screw up. So too many are living their life trying not to screw up, trying not to make mistakes so they're playing it safe. If I don't do the wrong thing and don't say the wrong thing, then that's okay. I, I don't want to tell them. What if I just witness to them and I say the wrong thing and I ruin their life? So I just won't say anything. What does he say to that servant? He says, thank you for saving what was mine. I appreciate it. you keeping it safe. No. Look what he says in verse 26. You wicked and lazy servant. I want to... I want to ask us about our stewardship this morning because when we all face God, I want to ask you, what are you hiding that God's asked you to use? Are you hiding the voice that God's given you to your circle of influence? Are you playing it safe? Are you just trying to go through this life and not screw up? Take a risk. God will celebrate your risk and your apparent failure more than he will playing it safe and never doing anything. You can say, well, I'm just going to protect what God, I'm just going to try not to offend anybody. I'm just going to try and mind my own business and go through this world. No, no, no. Take a risk. Don't hide. Do not hide. Hide it under a bushel. No, you know the song. I'm going to let it shine. Won't let Satan it out. Why? I said, Chad, don't play it safe. 
He said, I got too many people that play it safe. I need somebody that's gonna risk something for me. I need somebody that will engage what I've given them. He said, I will bring the multiplication if you will bring me the effort. So my question to all of us today is how are we stewarding what God's given us?